Hello and welcome back to the Tez News Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Morris. Joining me a bit later in the podcast is Gronya Hallahan as we discuss what could be done about persistent school absence. But first, I'm joined by reporter Matilda Martin. Matilda, welcome back. Hi, Joshua. Hi, Matilda. Uh, were you ever absent from school or were you a perfect student? I was a little... Oh, I was I was a bit of a goody two-shoes, actually. I didn't like to miss school. Yeah, no, I, very few sick days. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Thanks. We won't get into my record. We won't get into mine. <laughs> So today, Matilda, we're going to be talking about strikes again. Of course, this is an evolving story, and it's probably the most important thing happening in education at the moment. So of course, we're going to continue to cover it. But a lot can change in a week. On the podcast last week, we mentioned this idea that strikes could kind of be seen as uh, lockdown 2.0, like schools were prepared to take this, uh, this time off. However, heads are kind of warning the DfE that these Strikes aren't going to be like lockdown, are they? Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, from a lot of people I've spoken to, they said that during during the lockdown, it was like a, a health pandemic and everyone needed to band together and help each other out. And people were willing to go above and beyond to to do what needed to be done to keep kids in school. But this, this time around, obviously, it's all about strike action, trying to get a fair deal for teachers. And I think a lot of teachers are thinking, you know, we don't want to undermine what our colleagues are doing and what they're fighting for. Um, but at the same time, they really, really want to be there for the kids. So what, what we've got at the moment is, you know, although schools might be closed, um, a lot of head teachers and leaders have said they're going to give vouchers for, to free school meal pupils. They're going to be, you know, doing ring rounds to the vulnerable pupils. So it's not quite like lockdown, but I think a lot of the systems they had in place from, from the pandemic will will be used this time around. Another thing, uh, kind of in line with this idea that, you know, schools still kind of want there to be some disruption. They want to support their, their colleagues. The DfE have also asked schools to provide information about their what they're calling their anticipated operational status. But obviously schools aren't actually under any obligation to do this, even if they felt they could act, actually accurately gauge that information, are they? Exactly. And I think, like you said, it's going to be very, very difficult for schools to actually know at this stage, to be honest, even until the day before or even on the day, what things are going to look like next week. Um, so when a union decides it's going to take strike action against an employer, um, they have to give them 14 days notice and they've been letting Moshe Academy trusts and schools know um, how many NEU members they have in those schools and trusts um, and the description of them. So this time it's teachers um, and that's all schools know but then you've obviously got to remember that you know we've also got non-union members who might be joining up on the strike and we've also got 32,000 new NEU members in a week and a half um, which we understand are mostly teacher members so there's going to be a lot more um, but the reality is like you said the DFP is doing this data trawl and schools don't actually know um, whether they're going to be able to stay open have to close partially open so, yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, and I think a lot of people just kind of feel this is something else that the DfE is sending out for them to fill in that has no purpose and it's no help to them. Yeah, and it doesn't help when they're, they're asking all of this of schools and then they've, they've missed their own deadline, haven't they? I think yeah. at the core of this dispute, <laughs> yeah. over strikes is, is pay. Exactly. And the DfE have, have missed the teacher pay review deadline. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so just kind of a, a quick, quick overview for people that don't don't know about the STRB, although I think that's very unlikely. Um, every year, um, the the DSC and unions submit their evidence um, to the independent pay body, um, basically say how much they think they they should get. Um, so unions obviously tend to go a bit higher than the DFE because the DFE are also factoring in things like budgeting. Um, and yes, the DFE, the, the deadline was, you know, ended today. Um, we know the NEHT um, have submitted their, their evidence, which I think we'll talk about a bit later. But yeah, so very late last night, we hear that the DFE is not going to meet their deadline. Um, and the reasons why are quite interesting. They're still working out cross-departmental affordability. Um, what this means, we don't know. This could mean that last minute they're going to try and find something more to give teachers for the pay award next year to try and resolve these disputes. Or if we're being a little bit cynical, they don't want to make an announcement about a really bad pay award um, next year, um, just before the strike action happens. So we don't know why. And we're also not sure when the evidence is going to be submitted. So, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye out. We've also discussed there are many school leaders leaving the profession at the moment, and obviously pay is a factor there. What is it that the NAHT school leaders union believe should be done to address this? Yeah, so the NAHT have asked for what they term an uplift of 15%. They've been very clear that this isn't a pay increase, it's an uplift because they feel there's been so much real-term loss of, of, of pay um, over the past um, you know, years. Um, so they're asking for that, that 15% uplift. They're also accusing in the evidence they've submitted to the STRB, they're accusing the pay review process of having failed the education profession, which is pretty strong. Um, and I think, you know, what they're asking for this time is what they have termed uh, a reasonable, responsible and pragmatic recommendation. Um, so it's very different. Um, to obviously what, what we got this year, which was a 5% increase for experienced teachers. And I think that 15% across the board is really reflective of how they feel teacher pay almost flatlines as you become more experienced. Um, so yeah, whether they will get the 15% that they want, not sure, but it's definitely a strong, strong submission. Yeah. Just to finish on, I mean, obviously many schools and many teachers already know this, but when are these strikes happening? They're happening in the next month or two, right? Yeah. So we've got a series um, of seven dates that the NU have proposed for, for the next two months, obviously depending on there being no resolution um, between now, now and the end of, of March. Um, so we've got well, it's split between England and Wales. So next, next Wednesday, we've got England and Wales, so the two, two national strike days. And then 14th of February is just Wales. We've then got the Northern, Northwest, Yorkshire and the Humber region strikes on 28th of February. East Midlands, West Midlands and Eastern walking out on the 1st of March. And then London, Southeast and Southwest on the 2nd of March. And then on the 15th and 16th of March, we've got two um, national strike days across England and Wales. So uh, I imagine in the coming weeks, we'll be talking more about strikes on the podcast, see how they're going, see if there's been any response to the, uh, to the pay demands at all. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, of course, uh, Matilda, for joining me again this week. Thanks for having me. 
The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic can be seen across many sectors. Of course, the impact on education has been widely discussed on this podcast. But one area that has flown somewhat under the radar is persistent school absence. Absence has remained high following the pandemic. The overall rate pre-pandemic in autumn 2019 was 4.9%. But as recently as the 2022 autumn term, that number has risen to 7.8%. Joining me to look into this one is Gronja Hallahan. Gronja, welcome back. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Pleasure as always. I think with this story, many people's first assumption would be that these extra absences are through COVID-related illness, but that's probably not the whole picture, is it? No, and I think we need to remember that the tracking COVID-related illness is increasingly tricky now because we're talking about a time where we're not testing, like children aren't testing as much, schools, you know, the, all of the rules around testing and, and regularly testing have gone now. So people are testing of their own volition and that doesn't mean, and so consequently the absences that are recorded doesn't necessarily mean that, that we don't, well, we don't know. We don't know if it's COVID or not. So, and also in this piece, which is written by Robin Walker, who is our new Commons Education Select Committee chair, um, he, he mentions the fact that some children are absent because of feeling unsafe in school. And there was the, this, just this week, I think, or it's very recently, um, the the key potato report um, where they surveyed 68,000 pupils and they found one in 10 missed school in the past six months because they felt, quote, unsafe around their peers. And that um, in the survey, they, they also picked up that a higher number of children felt safer online than they did in school, which I think is really interesting. Though also, I think it's worth noting that this is self-reported. So the children might feel that they're safer online, but we know from looking at the, the stats around children's use of the internet and what, what's going on online, that isn't necessarily true. But I think the most important thing to pull out of that is the fact that they're not feeling safe in school. And, um, and that also drives absence and it's avoidable absence. You know, they're not missing school because they're sick. They're missing school about because they're feeling worried about going into school, which is definitely something that we can help with. My guess, and it's, it's a bit speculative here, is that over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, students have seen that they can work from home. There is another option almost. So there is that if they do feel safer at home, they've had, they've had that experience. Certainly at work, we, we have a lot more people working from home now. They've seen perhaps they think the grass is greener when they're working from home. That might be lending itself to these absence numbers here. Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor. I mean, I did a school visit yesterday and um, I was having lunch with some of the children and this adorable little girl were just like a pops of nothing, like out of nowhere, just said, I really like COVID. And um, <laughs> the picture was like, oh, you know, that's interesting. Um, what makes you say that? She was, I like being at home. I like doing my lessons in my bed and going to the toilet when I wanted to. I thought it was great. <laughs> and um you know, from she was just a diddy little girl. I think she was like year six. And that's that's really tricky because of course, for some children, yeah, being in being able to do your work in your pajamas and hanging out at home. And I thought it was really interesting that she had siblings, siblings of a similar age that she clearly got on really well with. So, you know, for lots of kids, it was great. It was really good fun. And that struggle to attend that when you think, oh, you know, I could just be in bed today. I could just be at home. This is quite nice at home. And your parents are at home too. 
because they're working from home. So you get to be at home with your, your mum or dad or both. You know, it's, it all contributes to this higher rate of absence. And I think a lot of what we do is born out of habit and we do things because we do them every day. And that habit of going to school every day, and you know, that's what we do. We go to school, we learn, we learn at school in person. That habit was broken for months and months and months. And it's going to take a long time to get back into that habit again and feel like this is normal again. Yeah, but getting back into that, uh, that normality is important though, isn't it? What is the impact of absence generally on a child's learning? Okay, so we've got so much data on this. And really, when we look at anything, I always think you can just bring it back down to absence. Because if you look at the performance of children who are more frequently absent from school, we know that has a huge impact upon their academic outcomes. The less you attend school, the less um, qualifications you'll, you'll leave with, essentially. You know, the less likely you are to be able to read able to write, able to add up. It's so, so important. And we can see that connection right from as early as a a reception age children. So we know that the biggest correlation of anything in school is attendance and and your your performance, academic performance and academic achievements. So it's really, really important. Where are we where are we seeing that absences are at their highest? It's not just locality, is it? That there are other factors. Yes. So if a pupil is on free school meals, for example, or eligible for free school meals, they are twice as likely to be um, persistently absent than their peers who are not eligible for free school meals. Um, And there's also uh, connections between your heritage and your attendance. So we know that Gypsy Roma pupils and pupils of Irish traveller heritage have the highest rates of persistence absence. And, you know, this is something that we've known for a really long time since so a cultural thing. Um, and also we, also, we can see groups of children where we have really high rates, of, um, high rates of attendance. So Black African and Chinese pupils have the lowest absence rates. So they, they attend school more than, than others. And, you know, that's, a, that's also important to note. Um, There's also a difference between regions in the country, which is really interesting. So in inner London, they've got the lowest percentage of persistence absence. So children attend more. And in the southwest, we have the highest rate of absence. So we can also break things down by where people live, which I think is really interesting. And again, another thing that you can look at with absence is children who have got special educational needs and disabilities. So if you are a child who's on the special educational needs register, then you're more likely to be persistently absent. And that could also be explained by the need to attend hospital appointments and things like that. So that's not all. It's the thing with this data is it's quite messy data. So we have these big numbers, but actually understanding the picture behind it is really important. Hence why they're doing this inquiry. Yeah. So based off of this inquiry, what are they expecting they might be able to do to tackle this rise in absence? Okay, so Robin Walker in this piece talks about some of the things that they're going to look at. They're looking at breakfast clubs, free meals, after-school clubs and holiday activities. So I think from that, like we can sort of glean their, their thinking around this, like let's get them in earlier and then they're more likely to stay all day. So this breakfast clubs idea, you know, when I, when I worked in the schools, this is something that we did too. We provided free breakfast for 
all children. If you came in early, everyone can have porridge for free. And, um, and that really worked well with improving attendance among our free school meal students because they had a, an incentive to get in and get in early. And there's, um, I, I bet you could recognise this as well, Josh. Like if you're a bit late for something and then you think, oh, I'm going to be late today or I'm just not going to bother going in at all. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we can recognise that, right? That's something that I think is like a human kind of giving up point. Like, oh, I'm going to be late. Is there any point going in? I'm just not going to go in. So if you can encourage yeah. kids to get in earlier, then they're more likely to stay the whole day and more likely to attend in the first place. Um, and I guess the holiday activities is trying to break that um, difficulty in returning to school after a long holiday break. So if you have stuff going on in school during the holidays, the children who struggle to attend, if they've been going in during the holidays and they're still in that, that pattern of going in and being in school even though they're not doing like traditional learning, I think it's really important to note that the children are still going to get a break. The holiday activities will be fun things that they get to do. Um, they'll still be in that pattern of getting up each day and going into school. And it makes it easier to stay in that habit because like we said, habits are really important. Um, the other thing that is mentioned is less, less fun than going in and like doing yes, holiday yeah. activities in school. <laughs> I almost don't want to say it. It's the F word. It's the fines. Mm-hmm. Do fines work? Because I guess my feeling is fines kind of really only impact the people who can't already afford to pay them. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> and a lot of people will, will think of fines and think of holiday fines and parents who take their kids out of school because they're booking a holiday during term time because, you know, they can get it more um, cheaply during term time or because the event they're going to happens to fall in term time and it's unavoidable or, you know, because they've got a, a parent who doesn't get to choose when they can take, take their leave. So they've got to take it during term time and consequently the only chance to get a family holiday is to go during term time. You know, there's a whole range of reasons why people take their children out of school during the school term, which aren't quite your, oh, we wanted a cheap holiday to Spain. Like think about children with families where they've got a child with special educational needs and physical disabilities, and it's not possible to have that normal family holiday in the busy summer holiday period. So they have to go out of peak season so that it's quieter and a better environment for their child who's got special, has got additional needs, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's a, it's a really complicated picture. But the fines, yeah, I mean, it's a really tricky one. I think it's probably the most unpopular thing among parents. It causes real resentment between home and school. And teachers aren't the ones who set the fines. And yet they're the ones that always get the flack about it. Um, Look at the discourse that's around at the moment about the strikes. I challenge you to find an online article about the strikes doesn't contain a comment underneath about school fines. That's impossible. You can't do it. <laughs> I'm telling you now, it's, it's always brought up and there's not a teacher in a classroom now who set a fine or sent a letter out about a fine or wanted to fine a child. Like they just, they're not the ones who do it. So yeah, I think it causes real resentment between home and school and um, it's, it's a really tricky thing for, for teachers to have to get, take the flack for because it's not their fault. But you have to balance that with the fact that 
the fines are a deterrent for people taking their children out of school. And it's really important for children to be in school. You know, this is ultimately a safeguarding thing. We know if children are in school, they're safe. They're with, um, they're not being exposed to things that children who are persistently absent often are. Like, you know, this is essentially a safeguarding thing as well as being important for their academic career. So it's a complicated one. But yeah, fines, fines are almost like a swear word. Yeah. Well, hopefully they're not the only uh, the only solution to this. It does look like there are other there are other avenues that can be explored. Uh, Gronio, thank you for taking me through this article today. I think it's proved really insightful. If you were listening and you want to go check the article out, do make sure to go have a look at our website, tes.com forward slash magazine. Gronio, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much. 